Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. It's been a while, Pat. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm doing well. It's been a busy, busy summer. Uh, lots going on. And uh, it just, you know, it really reminds me about sort of the seasonality of Alaska and how inescapable that is. Not just the weather, but the way our work patterns work up here and how we build our lives kind of around, you know, whether it's fishing or education or, or the legislative session or the Political tourist cycles. season. Yeah, there's just all these cycles in Alaska that are so seasonal. And um, you know, I think you, you just get sucked into the next cycle. And I feel like we're kind of on the, we're kind of on the cusp of coming out of the summer cycle here. We've got the primary election on the horizon on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, and we're kind of after that, we're sort of into this inexorable march towards the November election. So that political cycle kind of shifts gears pretty soon. Um, and then I feel like it's just been, you know, summer, it's just been people out fishing and, uh, doing tourist stuff and, um, whether that means absorbing our, you know, the incredible impact of tourism in, you know, that lands here in Alaska or, or going outside the state themselves. Um, it just feels like people are moving again. Yeah, I think it, you know, I think this year, maybe it, maybe it's part of the pandemic. Maybe it's just life, maybe getting, you know, it's my decade and a hat and change now living here. But I, yeah, I think this summer for some reason has felt, more seasonal than usual i think i think it is felt more stark and i think you know for me I, I what i really personally realize is that you know politics really slows down for a couple months there you know there's yeah. a big march of it and for me this year was just interesting because you know I, i've with the newsletter and with kind of everything that i'm kind of in greater control of sort of my day-to-day -day work schedule yeah. that I was able to take my foot off the gas for a couple months here and really take care of my house, you know, catch up on some projects, get sort of myself organized, catch up on some creative endeavors that are outside of it all. And so, so if, that's all to say, like, I'm feeling pretty good right now as far as like the next sort of march ahead. Like I'm kind yeah. of this summer for luckily as, you know, fortunate enough to sort of recharge my own batteries. That's good. Yeah, and it feels like, you know, ready to sort of jump in and get going again. And I think yeah. that it's good being able to find some time to take care of yourself and, and your family and friends and sort of the stuff that isn't work. Uh, that's it's been yeah. really good, yeah. That's really good to hear because I think, you know, I, I see a lot of attrition from journalists over the years. And I see a lot of people that come and go and I see a lot of people that burn out or or their work workplace isn't very conducive to like having that personal time or you know that kind of thing and it's really nice to see to or it's really nice to hear you say that you're like feeling recharged because i i don't know like i i i wouldn't want to like i wouldn't want to lose uh you know your perspective on alaska politics and your sort of like institutional knowledge that you have built up and it's nice to know that you're kind of entering the the phase of your career where you're thinking more about longevity, about like how you do it sustainably and how you are able to, you know, successfully do your work year in and year out rather than like it always being a sprint. And I feel like for a lot of what I see with a lot of young reporters is that they're just go, 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 go. And they're, it's, it's easy. Some people to, are good. At, I mean, like uh, I'll be clear, like some people are good at it. Like some people have a very, deep well of, of energy and and you know I, I have several friends in the field who are 
uh, editors or reporters or reporter slash editors who seem to work a massive amount of time and somehow they continue to do it. And sometimes, you know, but I think a lot of people do have, you know, have found uh, ways to balance it at the least. I think finding some of that balance is good because, you know, it's, it's so easy to lose track of it. You know, I think this, this, especially this, one of the things I've been kind of doing because, you know, my you can kind of write whenever, you know, like you can write a political. And so, you know, I can have a two hour chunk in the middle of the day because I'm, you know, started it really early and working in the evening or whatever, you know, trying to actually carve out more time to kind of take care of like basic, you know, make sure I'm taking care of the house. I'm going to re you know, finally fix the hinges on the cabinets that have been held together by rubber bands for the last year, that kind of stuff. And, and so, uh, finding more time to kind of build that into my structure and into my schedule, I think has been really helpful. I, you know, I kind of wish that there was more room for that with other people, right? Because I, I work from home for, for, you know, six years now and everything like that. And so, yeah, yeah you've had some adventures. Yeah. I've been having adventures and, you know, getting my domestic life sort of settled down and figured out and routine and all taken care of. But yeah. you've been, been out, out in the woods. on boats and in woods and away from mankind and the internet. Yeah. Oh, it's been so good. Yeah. I, uh, um, my grandfather, uh, got a little chunk of land with some of his buddies, uh, back in like the sixties. And so we've got kind of a family cabin that's, you know, fallen down out in the woods there. And it's, uh, oh man, it's just great. I go out and jump in the boat and go fishing and, um, do try and do some work. I worked on the foundation a bunch this time around and, you know, try and keep it from falling over for another year and see, you know, that, do some amateur carpentry. And I just love working on things like that. And, um, you, you know, my sister's in town with her kids. And so we got to do you know a bunch of family time. My dad made it out and we got him on the boat, which is always really fun. And, um, you know, went out to, went out to like Elfin Cove and got the kids ice cream. And, you know, that's like a oh, cool. <laughs> pretty, pretty long boat ride from where we are. It was good. It was a good time. And, uh, you know, even though the weather wasn't super cooperative, it's just been kind of crummy, but it was one of those things where you're just out in it and you don't really care that much because you're just out there. And once you, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're looking out the window and you don't want to go outside, but as soon as you're out in it, it's not that bad of a, not that bad of a deal. And, uh, yeah, it just felt, it was really nice. And I, I had like a little, I had kind of a smaller trip that I took, um, on my own earlier in the summer. And then I came back and immediately got COVID. I went to a friend's wedding and got COVID. And then, uh, luckily a couple of my other friends also got COVID. So we had this like miserable, like text chain going together and, and, uh, just sort of like sweaty, fevery dr- thing that dragged on and on. It was, it felt pretty long for me. It was, it was not like long COVID, but it was like a couple weeks of, of misery. And then, um, and then all my work got kind of backed up. So I had to cram on a bunch of projects and then my sister rolled into town and we had to go do that. So it was, it's been a, um, I feel like I'm just kind of, I just, just now getting back like, Oh man, my apartment's a mess. And I, from all these things and I need to square up and get my life in order here. And I feel like that, you know, that seasonal shift of like, okay, the fall's coming. I've got a lot of work ahead of me. Uh, a lot of projects that are overdue because of, just because of life and uh, family and, you know, things that are really important to me. And and, uh, and now you got to go pick up the sledgehammer and start chipping away at the rocks again. So yeah. that's where I am. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, you know, I'm coming back. I've got piles of mail and they're all like election mailers. It's uh, 
Um, you know, you've got, I've got my scary Mary Peltola, Joe Biden stuff. I've got my, uh, Nick Begich is, is a super awesome, cool dude stuff. I, so got, I, know, we noticed a, a funny <laughs> thing here where every it's, so you can like, if you were just, just divide all the mail by who it gets addressed to in our house, yeah. me or my girlfriend, uh-huh. like all the Peltola, the, the Palin, the Walker, a lot of the, like, just kind of like friendlier looking male yeah is all going to her just i would say like friendly looking male it doesn't even really depend on the candidates where everything that i have that i'm getting is like high contrast like Mm -hmm. scary looking so and so because you're a dude you're driven by fear anger you're you're so mad about life i know man they're they're coming for your job matt yeah So, yeah, so we're a couple of days away from the primary slash the special general election for the United States House seat. Uh, It's it's kind of like a weirdly like interest is it's anticlimactic kind of feeling on one hand, just because, you know, for me, I'm a person who really like likes the Alaska legislative races and the governor's race is always really interesting and very few of those races have like enough people to get knocked out in the primary. So like everybody gets to continue on. Yeah. Um, but this is an important like poll of, of people's, uh, you know, yeah. sort of current temperature. Right. So it's like a, it, you are, you do get to vote on all of those races and we're going to get to see some numbers of like, Oh wow, that's a bigger gap than we thought. Yeah. And I think like, so I spent the last couple of weeks, like, last month really like digging through a lot of the finance reports and like kind of in ways that you know I, I just sort of had more time to really look at it in ways than more in, in different ways than i usually do yeah i saw some of that it was really uh, good I, I my favorite was the candy thing where yeah you and, it's and, and, and like analyzed who who spent the most money on candy yeah so i kind of <laughs> like i built just myself some tools in just a google spreadsheet with the, the formula stuff is that allowed me to just sort of filter and look at it and compare races a little easier than usual and it's really interesting because like there's a you kind of start to see trends and in this race you know a lot of legislative races there's a lot more like fundraising on for progressive candidates in general and especially in races where you think it would be kind of competitive so you kind of have this one snapshot but then we also get the primary is like a snapshot that we don't really get before because I think you you know we always sort of would try to look at the primary results and you go okay well Don Young got seventy percent of the primary vote right it's never head to head before yeah there's always and, two different categories two different yeah, ballots and it's really hard to like judge it and it still kind of is because you know I it'll be interesting to see what the primary you know voter breakup is breakdown is but it always kind of tri- typically trends a little more conservative it, so yeah i think it's like a interesting sort of snapshot i think there's going to be a lot of races you know where where you're not eliminating candidates but you're going to be really getting a good test of like viability on some of these legislative candidates you know do they is it even worth you know investing a bunch in some of the, these races i think there's, there's going to be some pressure to either drop out for some races maybe consolidate on certain sides of the ticket i think I think you might just see kind of candidates sort of stop fundraising a whole bunch and just kind of slide to the finish line with whatever they've got. You said something there that seems important to me, and, and it's something that we looked at in a previous episode, but it's that the, the primary elections typically skew more Republican than general elections. And this one 
uh, will probably be similar to that. But I think it's that's important to remember as we start to unpack the results is that, uh, you know, even though we've got this um, special election rolled in here, the primary results do typically skew a bit more conservative than the than the um, general election results in November. And so what we see uh, as these results come in might not necessarily be the whole story on on what's going to happen in November. Right. And and it, I mean, and then you've also got the special election on the ballot, which is a completely, yeah. you know, interesting race. I think there's a lot just to see how um, the rank choice element of it's going to play out. Yeah. And you know, one the thing that I think is kind of frustrating with that is that we we're going to probably rec- even given our recording track record for podcasts, we'll probably have another podcast out before we know how the rank choice element plays out. Because that's like a, I think it takes place at the end of the month is when they kind of tabulate everything so we'll know who's in kind of second and third place but we won't know you know how the ranking process will actually play out does you know does the third whoever finishes in third place do their votes change who's at the top of the ticket like we don't we don't know right we won't know that for a little while and so um it's, and we've got a three-person race in this mm-hmm. in this special election. We have a four-person race, most likely in November. So it's right. Yeah, it's not going to be. It's not necessarily going to tell us who wins November when we see what happens here in August. Being the Alaska policy wonks that we are, mm-hmm. uh, people you know doing a civics Alaska civics based podcast, it's, it's easy I think to underestimate the. Uh, impact of some of the federal or the national news that's going on too you know yeah. what what to what level does um, something like the Dobbs decision affect you know the decision on the constitutional convention or or these candidates you know yeah I've had a conversation with another friend recently about how you know Alaska's sort of financial situation sort of at the whims of a lot of big powers that are much bigger than we are you know oil and the investment sector and I think sure in some ways you know it'll be interesting to see just how tied up our politics are in some of the national stuff too because I think we kind of think of ourselves as sort of like insulated from it but yeah I think some of that's going to boil down to like individual candidates you know like how how much does Sarah Palin get sucked into like saying that the FBI should be defunded you know right and what do Alaskans think of that kind of rhetoric you know that I mean you saw like this week Marjorie Taylor Greene who's kind of like a Palin-esque politician said defund the FBI which is like a, a pretty big thing for the like yay police crowd to be saying and so um, you know, if Sarah Palin goes down that path and then it turns out that like Trump goes to jail over some of this or like is guilty of far greater things that we don't even know about yet, then, you know, how does that impact the the race later? So I think it's going to be a little bit about like, what do they bite on and what do they uh, what do they lean on? You're seeing pressure on uh, uh, Nancy Dahlstrom, uh, Dunleavy's uh, lieutenant governor. Uh, has refused to answer questions about uh, whether elections were legitimate. And she's going to, you know, if she gets the job, she's going to be running Alaskan elections. And so like you've, you've got, that's how sort of national, I think national issues are going to be more of a candidate by candidate kind of thing, Mm -hmm. depending on like where they choose to, to be cagey or weird about things. And then we've got, you know, like the, like you mentioned, the constitutional convention, like that's kind of interesting too. We've just seen in the last couple of weeks, like a a new group formed um, that is pro constitutional convention. And we, we've kind of been waiting for that. There'd been a, there'd been a stop the convention group for months now, but this group is pretty new. I I don't really know a lot about it. You want to tell me about yeah, so it, it, I mean, it's. I think the whole like, question of a constitutional convention changes a whole lot when you know the constitutional right to an abortion is 
uh, you know, now much more front and center in the discussion is I think so this group kind of is launched and it is a lot of the totally right wing on abortion groups that are backing it. You know, Jim Minnery is involved, those kind of groups. Um, they are kind of officially sort of distancing themselves, though, from any sort of stances on it. They basically are arguing that, oh, we're a you know PFD focused. But um, you look at the makeup of the group and it's hard. It's impossible to see it as anything other than uh, anti-abortion effort. They want to change a lot of the land ownership stuff. Right. There's a lot of interesting things in there that they're that they want the judicial uh, mm-hmm. branch of government. They would love to change how that works. Um, you know, I think that there's like they'd be happy to not say what their goals are until the convention starts. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's exactly the point. Like, there's always sort of been this specter of whatever other things that they would do under the guise of getting in the PFD. But now, you know, I think and I think the idea is that you know the PFD vote or bfd kind of fight is sort of the key to winning the fight on this vote but i think now that 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 the abortion thing is so impossible to overlook uh that i think it becomes a pretty difficult fight for them to win because you you look at um the kansas vote um there where it was uh, you know 55 60 percent no against the repealing their constitutional protections there and um, uh, there's some interesting talk about, you know, how, how do you apply that? But, um, you know, basically cautioning against, like, thinking that all anti-abortion candidates are dead in the water because those issues become, you know, candidates are much more complicated than up and down votes. But I think that the Constitutional Convention really, to me at least, feels like it is very much uh, a referendum on whether or not you want to protect a person's you know access to their own health care decisions you know yeah and I, there's other things in there too like the our constitution says that marriage can only be to be between one man and one woman and uh you know if the supreme court makes some changes to federal law that could easily become the law of the land in alaska so that's you know i think that there's there are a lot of weird pieces in play there um mm-hmm. you know there might be some incentive for people to like want to change that and um you know, I, I, I think the best way to change the Constitution is through the legislative process and through making constitutional amendments and then putting those to the to the voters. But I but I think there's some people that see this as like an opportunity to just like go in and rewrite the whole thing. And that's going to be t- that would be terrible. And actually, you know, I think um, when Dunleavy ran, I think that he uh, planned to have a constitutional convention through the legislature. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it takes a simple majority of the legislature to, to call for a constitutional convention, and then the legislature gets to write the rules. And so if you get a, a fully Republican legislature with a guy like Dunleavy in charge, uh, you could really change Alaska real fast, uh, and, and I think not for the better. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the judicial changes to me are like the the foundational, like those are to me the, the things that keep me up at night really is that whatever sort of system they want to, they want their judges to be much more political to their side. You know, they want to be able to have more political control over the judiciary. And it's like, to me, that is like, you know, they've over the last four years plus, like, you know, for a long time, they've been sort of proved as a check against the worst impulses of the legislature and the governor. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maintaining that judiciary's independence is 
you know, really deeply important. But I think I learned something about checks and balances when I was in school, and like it, they made it, they really stressed like the, the yeah. importance of that. It I really shouldn't have a governor basically I, I, running the whole I, thing. I got a public education though. What do I know? Yeah. What do you know? Yeah. Um. So okay, can I can I talk about a pet peeve I have for just a second? Sure. Okay, it's it's the claim that uh, Governor Dunleavy delivered the largest PFD in history this year, and uh, it, we're supposed to get a thirty-two hundred dollar PFD this year. We got a thirty-two sixty-nine PFD from Sarah Palin in two thousand eight. Nice. And that is larger than thirty-two hundred, and so uh, and that's not even taking into account inflation, which uh, I think you have to take into account if you're complaining about inflation every day. So. The, my did, my request they, they for fall, my they, request for journalists is to not fall for press releases that say this is the largest PFD. Um, oh, it's just so hard to look up the old PFDs though. Yeah. Um, is do they fall back on uh, the whole element of like, well, part of the other one was an energy rebate and part of this one's an energy part rebate. Of this one's also. But an I think what rebate. we've well, I think what we've seen is that it, it, what we've seen revealed is that the the. PFD is no more than a legislative appropriation and you can call it what you want, but where does the money come from and who is it paid to and how many checks are you writing? Like we get one check, it comes from one source and it's, it's your permanent fund dividend, you know, right? So like brand it as whatever you want. We talked about this earlier, you know, this energy mm -hmm. payment is really just sort of a way to, to uh, say, don't count on getting this much next year, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a one-time deal. I haven't but, heard. I, it's weird though. Yeah. I haven't heard many people talk about the energy rebate anymore. It's just a thirty-two hundred dollar yeah. PFD. Right. And in reality, it's it it is just one check, right? It's just one PFD, and that's the same thing that happened in uh, two thousand eight under Palin. And if you look in the Department of Revenue documents, they say they call it an increase to the PFD, not a, a separate uh, payment. Mm -hmm. And so I. I think it's it's uh, pretty clear that this is not the largest PFD in history, and particularly when you uh, start accounting for it in real dollars, because uh, I I think that you you have to take into account inflation if you're going to complain about inflation. So, anyways, right. that's okay. Pet peeve noted, taken care of. All right. Um, I the other thing. Okay, so as I come up for air between. Um, you know, like uh, off the grid outings and uh, COVID delirium. Uh, one thing that has been constant is that every time <laughs> I come up for air, I see some new article about some crazy thing happening in the Bronson administration. So in Anchorage, yeah. what is happening up there in Anchorage where you live, Matt? What is, I, what is your city doing these days? It, you know, I, it just feels to me like this Do you still is have like libraries. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're working on it. It it really does feel like the sort of the almost logical con extreme conclusion of the trajectory of, you know, the Trump, Dunleavy, Bronson administration. Like each one of them kind of has these sort of same like line impulses, but they're just getting more and more like ham fisted with them as the farther you go down. So it's just like it's com it's almost comical if it wasn't like horrifying. So, yeah. I feel I, I'm like hearing notes of the like Jonathan Quick ice cream debacle like, yeah. in in so, this Joe Gerace thing. There's a lot of things that have been happening, but the one that's sort of the most dominating and kind of like awe-inspiring, awe I guess, is the fact that they've they're, the David Bronson's um, health department for the last year has been run by a guy who 
like completely lied on his resume, it, com like completely fabricated his entire uh, thing. He d he claimed to have like uh, military deployments that he didn't do. He claimed to have like two advanced degrees. He had none. He claimed to have all these certifications that he didn't have. Um, and he and he was basically the head of the city's most important sort of public health function that touched on everything from the pandemic to, uh, you know, public health screenings, you know, that are really important for the LGBTQ community uh, to the homelessness, you know, uh, continuing issues. Uh, you know, this is the department that shut down testing just like one day, you know, just, just testing was all shut down and uh, private contractors had just magically moved in. You know, just it, it just goes to show you what you can do with a little confidence and a pair of bootstraps. You yeah. know, I think I think anyone can run the health department for the city of Anchorage. I think yeah. that that's <laughs> and and so and, and like I, I think it, it's it's really frustrating because the, at the people at the, when he was being appointed, like people came forward that were like, "Hey, red flag! Like let's let's yeah. call an audible on this and and talk about this and." The assembly didn't kind kind of didn't even pick a didn't seem interested in it, and so yeah. you know it's hard to overlook the fact that this guy was appointed uh, or confirmed on a seven to three vote. You know, I think to me it really the whole sort of thing on on one there's many facets of this. Let's be clear, but yeah. the, on one of the levels, it really speaks to I think this sort of institutional inertia, this idea that you know he's he's the mayor, he couldn't possibly be actively deceiving us on something like this and i think that you know you looked at the way this guy ran his campaign you looked at the kind of supporters and people he had around him and it was obvious that this sort of thing was going to be happening you know that this yeah. is guy you know is sort of made in the same sort of like bloviating you know misrepresenting like mold that sort of become modern conservative leadership and well, and this is a pattern now, too, right? I mean, going back to like early in the spring, we had the the Bronson administration was lying about how they turned off the fluoride and the water system and how, you know, whether or not Amy Domboski tried to turn off the video stream at a meeting. And like, you know, there there's um, the Anchorage Daily News went as far as to print an editorial that said a mayor's office that lies to you. I mean, that's like that's the headline. Right. And then talked about the trust issues and how do we how do you move forward from that? And like this is just a continuance of that. This is like a this is a well-established pattern at this point. But we don't have to worry about it anymore because it's being investigated by them, by the by, exact people who did this. by the yeah. guy that did the hiring. Right. Like, yeah. And like, like and, and then like atta attacked the you know vigorously defended his this guy's honor you know acted just completely aghast that somebody would ever say something so terrible at you know Mister Jarras Jarras I think right? Jarras yeah there's yeah. a there's a video where he call he mispronounces his name even he calls him Jarras at one point oh. anyways so oh my God what if that's not his name yeah <laughs> but like. I think what to me like the the really sort of like fundamental issue here and I, I think it's like it's easy to sort of see this as like a political exercise you know it's like yes people hate Dave Bronson yes he's like gravely unqualified for this yes I he would be better it would be better if somebody else had won that office but like you know I think that there's like there's some like foundational issues here that are being created when you like can't trust 
it at all you know like to me i think it creates like these big questions about like well what else are they lying about like what else are they doing that's like sure uh intentionally sort of deceiving the public or or... well how do you work with them right if you're in the assembly or if you're even a city employee like how do you trust that you're getting the right information you drew some parallels here between like trump and and bronson and you look at the like one of trump's lawyers signed off that like they had turned in all of these documents and they're they're definitely had been returned and they didn't have any more secret documents and you know she, she put her name on the line and she might end up going to jail for that and like now you've got city employees who are probably in a similar situation it's like they're relying on on truths that may not be truths right and so i don't know how you how do you do your job in good faith if you don't know that you're you're sharing the correct information right and yeah i mean i think it also like exposes the city to like some serious potential liabilities that yeah they'll probably have to spend some while like unpacking because you know this is a as i think uh bill falsey the former city manager slash political candidate for mayor was and slash and also now legal help for the assembly uh basically said like look you know this is a position that needs to be certifying the accurateness of doc you know, various documents and paperwork to the federal government that have implications for millions of dollars and yeah and you know so you know is what did he lie on a bunch of compliance reports because he's clearly fine lying here you know it's like it's like a legal issue almost you what know? Ha- was i mean they could be in much more danger than that what happens if someone died as a result of negligence because he's unqualified yeah. I mean, I'm sure many people in Anchorage died over the last during the pandemic here. Right. Like, but I mean, you know, how, how many of those people can draw a line between the, the service they received as a result of, of his of having an unqualified person in, in charge at the mm-hmm. at the municipality? Well, and like, you look that... at, you know, I mean, I think, too, that, I mean, so the other really big story that's been running through this all is, is you know, the city's handling of the homelessness um, shelters. Right. And, yeah, didn't you know, they so just they, dump a bunch of people they, in the woods somewhere? Yeah, so what they did is they abruptly closed the shelter that they've been, the city's been running for a while now, um, and then bust a bunch of people to a campground. And, and the, you know, and it was like a literally like a, it was no warning, you know, people were showing up to go camping that were being turned away, you know, and that like I, you know, so it's like was up until that afternoon was a campground and then it becomes, you know, they're they're still calling it a camp. And they're like now they're refusing to call it a homelessness response, which is therefore bars any like official responsibility or response to help like coordinate or provide any supplies to it. So they basically dumped them out there and like an extraordinarily rainy month too. Yeah. So there's like some tourists like mom and pop out there with their RV, like flipping burgers over a thing. And then all of a sudden the bus drops off like a hundred homeless people. Is that like, <laughs> yes. And, and no, there's actually, and there's, there's a story that like is on RV outdoorsing.com or something. Some out RV like camping blog that had like a news article that they wrote from the perspective of somebody who decided to stay when oh, all this no. happened. And it was like, can you ever trust that this is going to be a campground again? You know, when, you know, it was, it was a, I was a fun RV parking campground for people who were visiting Anchorage area. Yeah. And, uh, but so now this was, and then this was also, it, there was also like incidents with bears and there yeah, were shootings. Bears, there was a, police officer, been a police officer that was shot. Um, a couple people, well, at least one person died, uh, from an overdose, I believe. Uh, and kind of with questions surrounding about whether or not there was, you know, appropriate medical care like Narcan yeah. available. Um, 
and then there's this like background like drum beat of it's Alaska and winter's around the corner, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, they're looking happens, at keeping it up what for like another next? month and a half. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're apparently trying to get stuff open. The, that's some of the issues here too. Is that you know, some of the money for this response was never applied for by the Bronson administration from um, HUD. And Joe Grace was the guy that was supposed to be applying for it, you know? And so there's a yeah. lot of these things here. You know, we don't really have like a full and clear and truthful accounting of like how all of this happened or even what happened with it, you right. know? Because um, you're relying you know, on the data you're getting from rvworld.com. Well, yeah, <laughs> but like with the decisions around this guy's resume and his hiring, you know, how, how uh, aware was the Bronson administration of that? You know, and so how, you know, how culpable are they in, in covering for him, right? And and to me, I think, you know, it almost creates like a weird, on one hand, it creates this like weird, like incompetent, incompetence defense for it all. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, we messed this all up, but it was because we were duped by this liar, you know? And, but I, I, I kind of don't, like to me, it doesn't really look like that. Like it much more looks like the kind of the, inept cruelty of it all is much more the point of it and i think well it's like you got a buddy we're like he can handle it he's done some stuff before we'll give it to our buddy like oh whatever no one's gonna check the resume we'll just say that he runs the red cross yeah and i think i don't know so much of it is just really disheartening i think and i think it's sort of easy to use it as like a cudgel against bronson that is oh look at how horrible he is but there's not you know beyond the assembly trying to you know remove him from office or a recall like what kind of consequences is this guy really going to face you know moving forward you know what yeah. and i think that's sort of what's frustrating about it is it's not like you know i don't know how egregious where? it is to the point where this guy with bronson or, or anybody that was hiring or, or even this individual himself like are going to have any consequences for it and i think that feels like kind of the most frustrating part about it is that like they could get away with lying about it, you know? Does it feel like that in Anchorage? Like that just nothing will happen and you basically have to kind of like tough out another year and a half or whatever. Is that sort of your feeling of it from your friends and social circles? Like is everyone sort of just, okay, bite down in this leather strap and, and hang tight for a year and a half. Cause I mean, I mean it, it feels yeah. like to get actually get rid of him would is going to take just as long and be twice as much effort and cost five bazillion dollars. And, and then it's going to be the same amount of time to just wait it out. And like, so- I mean, it kind of, it's, I mean, it's sort of like the, with Dunleavy, right. Dunleavy yeah. and the recall. Uh, and it's like kind yeah. of gut, it's gutting, right. That like, yeah. that, you know, you, you, the fallback is on waiting it out because the other thing about waiting it out is that people's anger fades and their memory yeah, they fades. All and all of a sudden, He's not this guy that candidate again. Yeah, and and so blows my mind. I mean, I think that's sort of the lesson here is how manipulative of kind of the the institutional sort of trust in the system is. You know, the sort of the norm, the norms of power, sort of encourage forgiving these jerks. You know, like this guy really betrayed a lot of trust um, that people put in him. That even you know, I think there's a lot of you know, this I think is so black and white egregious that you know there's there's a member of the conservative member of the assembly that is looking at this and is going also what the hell guys like this is really bad like we need to make sure that we don't have people who are lying 
who are unqualified because like I as a small government conservative believe that it should be operated well. Like I believe part of being a small government is conservative is not having a bunch of unqualified idiots running the, the that show like that. And, and That's like, what a, one of the assembly members said. Yeah. That? And like that is like it's frustrating that that feels like special or notable or even like admirable. Right. Like that should be the bare minimum. But him not like knee-jerk protecting Bronson because that's the leader of the team. Yeah. The Liz Cheney effect. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, exactly. It's like the whole like dark irony of all this is that like, it's made this whole situation has made people like Liz Cheney look like a good guy, you know? So anyways, um, I think, you know, it's deeply frustrating. I think too, that, you know, it's hard to really overlook the fact that the, lead, the assembly voted on this guy, that they heard credible allegations. They had a closed door meeting with this guy and then they still voted to confirm him. Like, I, I would like to know what was their defense? What did they hear that made them feel so good about it? You know, that was making him making them feel like it was OK to hire somebody, appoint somebody who had credible allegations of not just like like workplace harassment and misogyny and being unqualified. Those things weren't enough. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that there's going to be like a wake up for it, but at the same time, you know, I think that it, it seems like there's a pretty clear problem in the resolution to it. You know, it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot nearer than the next election. Yeah. I, I think in the, in the Anchorage assembly's defense, I think you get into this position where you have to, confirm some people like you can't just say no you don't get anyone you you can't hire anyone to do the work because like the city has to move right you know and they were they were yeah. fighting like judy ellidge like she was unqualified to be the, mm-hmm. the head librarian and they had all these other fights and you got it's that pick your battles thing and so i think with with jerace he probably looked okay on paper enough that they're like okay fine we won't throw we won't have a fuss about this game yeah but, you know now i'm just sort of attributing sort of no, I, mean, I, think that's exact, motive, but... I think that's exactly it because they were getting totally raked over the coals for i think they they rejected i think three out of several yeah. dozen oh you're and... just trying to you're just trying to stop us from doing anything you don't want to you don't want the city function yeah i mean and so yeah you got to let a few people go through and you just pick the best of the worst right right and i think you know i think that there's some element of it too where there's a little bit of like, all right, we're going to pull our hands back. And if you fall on your face, then that's kind of how it works, right? Like, there's a little bit of, like, giving him the benefit of the doubt, but allowing him to fail on his own merits. Mm-hmm. And the problem and with it, did. though, Yay. is that... Yeah, they did. It's great. But, like, at the same time, there's a lot of... There's a lot... There's, like, there's a... There's, there's like actually a literal hell on Earth that yeah. he's created, you know, that where... You know, the, some of the reporting out of the um, Centennial Campground is awful. Like, yeah. it, you know, soaked all the way through. People just hiding out in the bathrooms because it's the only dry place. You know, there's kids there. Um, I think one of the really um, uplifting things, I guess, if you want to call it that, is that there's been a really strong community response to take care of these people. You know, it's difficult to really begin to build a, a support structure around something that you aren't sure is how long it will be there, right? So that's that was a big question for a long time: is how long were this was this camp going to be in place? Because you know they sort of moved everybody there under the guy or under the the initial argument was that look, there's really high fire danger. We need to keep everybody here, and then it started pouring rain, and it's been raining for a month and a half since, and they haven't you know shut it down, and so or haven't really provided any sort of alternative. And 
but I think that you know at the very least there's there's some visibility and and some care and some real effort about creating like a revolving amount of help to the community. Um, uh, there's a group uh, Arseniega Street. It's like a, a queer Latin X uh, kind of community organizing group in East Anchorage that has been like doing a lot of mutual aid get-togethers. A lot of kind of like let's all make pack you know, sandwiches and. T- packs for these people and you know are, are kind of filling in the needs that the city isn't you know and i think that at the very least there's some people stepping up to it and i think that's great but you yeah. know it would really be great if that there was some you know institutional help for the people that are really on the ground making some differences so 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 another institutional problem that uh seems to be kind of impacting various areas of alaska in different ways is is just uh ability to employ people like right now um there's i've been reading articles like lisa foo's done a bunch of reporting on this um but like there's one real quick alaska beacon and lisa foo have been really really good i just want to give a shout out to them i think there's their work i've just been really happy that these people are doing what they're doing in the alaska media sphere it feels like a lot more rich and full because thanks to them anyways yeah, and it's nice to see their articles picked up by other other papers when it's when it's um, you know something that they don't have the capacity to cover themselves or something. But like, so yeah. Anyways, getting back to the the topic here, like uh, she wrote an article about how teachers are you know they have huge gaps in in teaching positions. Um, there's been articles recently about bus drivers uh, in and um, various areas of the state, the Anchorage in particular, that where they're short on drivers, and it just feels like a lot of the kind of the government uh, structure that you know, the kind of the stuff that we're used to the existing bus drivers and teachers and, you know, firefighters and things like that. Like, it feels like there's some big gaps. When I was watching the 4th of July parade this year, there was a single truck with like not a lot of candy being thrown out of it that drove by and had a big sign in the back and it said $10,000 hiring bonus, you know, and it was like Department of Corrections or something, some such thing. And I think um, I've had those ads on the blog for like a year and a half now. Yeah. And it just feels like, like really like this, these vacancies are getting, are not getting filled. It feels very um, kind of desperate. And then in the teaching article, there was, there are school districts that are just bringing in teachers from the Philippines on J1 visas and entirely, almost entirely populating their schools with teachers from abroad, which is like a really interesting, interesting thing. Like not just because it's teachers from abroad, but also because we have like that, there's a lot of parallels there with our, with our history of like bringing in people to work at salmon canneries from from the philippines and like we've got the huge filipino community in juno it's like there's a lot of layers here but it's but the but the idea that we are not able to staff up our schools um or essential government positions uh seems like a problem and i don't know kind of what you're seeing there but it it that doesn't seem very sustainable it seems like with something we need to get our arms around um and i don't know you know i i don't want to see that work turn into like work from home that we're just like farming out overseas or something, you know, like I don't want to call, I don't want to call in to ask a question of like, uh, you know, fisheries and then get some guy that's like off in another country, like doesn't, has never been here trying to answer my question. Yeah. I mean, I think, it, I think the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of the, the industry and, and I think the media has enabled it in a lot of ways too. I think they're just, people are just finally waking up to the idea that it's not a, people who don't want to work anymore issue you know i think that there's like finally some grass grappling with the fact that like maybe it's not a them problem maybe it's a you problem like i and i don't know like for employers you mean for employers yeah like it's the like maybe the employer needs to like 
pay more, Chain, pay more, provide pay some more. benefits, make it not find ways to make it less of a shitty job, you know? And yeah. I think, um, I think the pandemic, you know, has laid bare a lot of the kind of structural problems with a lot of this stuff, right? Like, you know, it's not like these, you know, it's not like teachers were magically have been, you know, are magically just being suddenly not paid better, you know, mm -hmm. it's yeah, just it's been gradual. Yeah. It's been this like kind of building issue and, you know, um, it's such a frustrating thing too, because, you know, you talk to almost any teacher and they can tell you pretty much what they need, you know, which is just like more investment, more care, yeah. uh, more support, um, from the system and they're not getting it. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't blame any teacher who wants to walk away from it because, sounds like an incredibly difficult job to be doing right now uh you know you in a lot of cases too you know these teachers are basically in some of these schools are serving as like social care workers you know they are the sometimes they're the only kid person looking out for the kids you know and yeah. it's and the fact that that you know that they have to be buying their own supplies or going into debt or just having this like a ma massive amount of uncertainty as being the reward for being such a critical piece of a child's life is like really, I mean, I, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear why there's a problem. Right. And yeah. I don't know. My sister and her husband are both teachers and they're national board certified. So they could come up and teach in Alaska if they wanted to. And they want to, they want to come teach in Alaska, but they like can't afford to because it's such a pay cut from what they're getting now. And they're down in Washington and they're like, yeah, we want to come up, but like the benefits are horrible. We wouldn't be able to like, <laughs> we, would we would retire in squalor and our kids wouldn't go to college. Right. Yeah. It's like, so, Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and no certainty over it moving forward either. Like, you know, they we just had a Supreme Court lawsuit that says that you can't forward fund education if you don't have the money in hand when you are doing it. So, yeah, I mean, I've got a got in the the retirement system to me is like really galling, right? Because yeah, you, know, you hear about, something they tried to fix this year, right? For just for like firefighters, just for and firefighters and police officers, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like you know this the you know the out migration of Alaska is a huge issue. I mean, that's the thing too is that I think. It's so frustrating to see people, you know, all these sort of stories written up that are you know, talking to employers or businesses that that are always talking about, oh, we can't find, you know, nobody wants to work. You know, we're just we can't find people to work right now. We can't find honest people to work. And, you know, so frequently the stories don't even ask them how much they're paying. Right. Like that's yeah. not a that's not a piece that some of the reporters are even like curious about. I don't know. I think. A lot of effort and attention to like what is a very real issue has been spent on let's take away unemployment insurance you know like that was that was the grand solution right like that the only thing that the legislature's really come close to doing is like they let the unemployment insurance ex benefits expire early like that was that was their their solution to fixing the economy right and so i think that i don't know i think it's frustrating to see that there's a lot of like weight given to the to the employers to sort of talk about the problems that they're having that maybe aren't very honest right so well you're just kind of getting one side of the story is what you're saying right right yeah so like so so you're <laughs> if i understand your grievance what you're saying is that that there's uh too many stories coming out right now that are like let's go talk to this employer about why they aren't having trouble hiring people not let's go talk to the employees about why they aren't working for that particular employee employer. right yeah yeah 
And I think, yeah. and it, it 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 shapes, I think, in a lot of ways, the response to it, right? That, you yeah. know, that all the all the voices we see on this issue are diners, right, and other you know places that were probably never good places to work, right? I've, I've worked at diners. Well, before. not never, that never bad. good place, but yeah. you know that that maybe aren't keeping up with this sort of stuff, or you know, a lot of, I mean, you know, it's like we can't. It's hard to forget too to write off that like many many people just died over the last two years many of them being in the hospitality and food service industry right yeah like teachers and nurses like all those people are like not not i mean some of them have have passed away and some of them are burnt out because they've just been dealing with the front line some of them yeah yeah. so it'll be uh, i don't i don't know where we go from here but i think we have to you know we really have to figure out how to treat employees fairly uh, or, or we're not going to, or we're going to have a tough, we're gonna have a tough time, uh, keeping things strong, keeping the lights on, you know, like a lot of the way it's being felt right now is like longer waits for stuff, right? That there's only so many people there to serve you or whatever, or to, to wait on your table or to do whatever. It just, everything kind of takes a little bit longer and you could give them like, a, you know, you could be helpful by being understanding that that person is being is very overworked and is, doesn't have the support that they need right now. And I think to me, it's like being being shitty to the server, server, the employees doesn't really make the situation a lot much better either. So uh, do you want to wrap the episode up by making uh, wild uh, guesses about the outcomes of the Tuesday election? Sure. Let's okay. do something fun. What do you what uh I do you have any uh big predictions? Um I think so okay so so the one place I the one there's one place where you know the the as far as the primary goes that will have some good, like will be kind of important moving forward which is who gets the fourth spot in all these races, right? So the have this, all these statewide races. So right. you know, so w- governor it's going to probably be Dunleavy, Walker, Guerra. And then the fifth spot will, or the fourth spot will either go to Kirka or Pierce, right? Right. So it I think it's like I, Pierce to me. I kind of think Kirka. Oh, really? Yeah. That would be interesting. I think, I think, well, he raised more money. I think he's also yeah. got a little more. He's, he, he's, he's really got him, like a pocket to dig from. Well, and I also like, think that like the Dobbs thing is almost good for him, right? It's like a motivating yeah. factor on that extreme, right? I mean, I think that they probably combined don't do better than 10% in that, sure. in the primary voting. So probably like seven to four. Oh, that'd be or interesting. Like that, seven yeah, Kirka in the race would just really spice things up. That would be, uh, would be pretty wild. So yeah, so I think that that's kind of my prediction there. Uh, I think probably Sweeney gets into the U.S. House race with yeah. everybody else, uh, and then, um, and then in the U.S. Senate, I guess the Gunger sign or um, da- that was Dust- interesting. Dustin Darden. No, I think it'll be Gungerstein. Like she, she was kind of like got a lot of name recognition this week because she got written up in like Must Read Alaska and Alaska Landmine and all this stuff because she's got a an IMDb page, and so everyone like lost their minds and thought it was like some kind of a a, a hoax or a. Um, it, that r- to me was so weird. Like a secret documentary or like I it's don't like, know. It's like yeah, it's like surprise. Uh, the rules for running for federal office are pretty lax. Like we always had. We that, already like, knew that. Yeah, we always have. So we have like, Dan Sullivan. We always have those crazy <laughs> stories where it's like, oh, someone from Ohio filed, and it's just like, yeah, that the rules are you just have to live in the state when when you are taking office, right, or when you are elected. Oh. And so, uh, 
it's it's all like I I, I just like not gonna clutch my pearls over it. And also like she doesn't she seems to be have like talking points. I she, she doesn't seem too harmful, but I think that she's sort of cobbled together a lot of like disparate positions that it's um, kind of a little uncanny valley. I think in some yeah. ways where it's like a it's like the you took like a dash of Sean Parnell and a dash of Lisa Murkowski and. Uh, anyways, I think I do think she'll be the fourth. I think that, that Gungerstein will be the fourth, and then I think that'll be really interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, do you think uh, Shabaka or Murkowski will get more votes? Oh, Murkowski by a, a million miles, I think. You think, I think so? Sh- In this primary? So. In this primary. I think so. I think Murkowski gets more votes. Well, yeah. actually, that's tough Does because get like, Chesbro might like get more. like 40% or like 30%, high 30 Oh, man, that's interesting because like Chesbro will probably sop up a lot of, of potential Murkowski votes, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised and if so, she got in the like 18, 25 range. Yeah, yeah. So maybe Chewbacca would come out as the top candidate and that would or probably like 30 cause a lot of people to, to you know, start yelling the sky is falling and i mean i think that would become there'd be an intense amount of pressure for chesbro to withdraw which i don't think i don't she think would. so no but i don't I think, think there would, that she would I, think would I think there might be cons- but you know that's the thing i think it's better with her in, were, honestly i mean were, i think i think if they're worried voters... that she might finish ahead of murkowski then, then... who cares if she figure if she finishes ahead of murkowski then you got chesbro instead of chewbacca yeah. i mean that's we'll the see. I don't. I don't. Do you think Murkowski voters think that Chesbro is a worse possibility than Chewbacca? Because that's the. Ooh, yeah, that's true. Okay, I mean, you put it like that. Yeah. Because I don't think that that's. I think that it's great to have her in the race because she brings out actual progressive voters and who, yeah, who will that probably would, put yeah. Murkowski down as number two. Yeah. That's true. So, I mean, you know, so I, I think yeah. it's going to be really interesting. I think, I think that like I really am now. I I really had sort of written it off the election just for the kind of the down ballot the state house races but you know, it's gonna be really interesting to see in some of these races uh, like we talked about earlier just like you know there's like the state house race or the uh state senate race in anchorage between republican mia costello and Repu- democratic representative um matt clayman clayman yeah, is raised like get an early poll 15 right? times more than she has you know she has like she's raised Sort of a, a surprising amount, surprisingly little amount of money for how serious of a challenge this is. Yeah. So it, it, to me, it'd be really interesting to see, like, okay, is this district really as like super blue as everybody kind of thinks it is? Because right. you know that's the district where him, the House district that he was in, got combined partly with uh, Republican Representative uh, Sarah Rasmussen, who decided not to run. Sort of talking, acknowledging the fact that the district was basically too blue to win um so yeah it's gonna i think that will be interesting there'll be a couple other ones where just getting that kind of like head-to-head poll on it is gonna be really interesting yeah yeah i think so and uh and there's a lot of new people running it's a lot of fresh faces this year i'm really excited like you see you see some of the people that are running and it's like people that have been involved in the conversation like names you recognize from Mm -hmm. from you know testimony or from twitter or from like just you know being around the state or caring about stuff and it's really I think it's really good to see that a lot of people are kind of stepping up and like these are people in their 20s and 30s that are, you know, taking an interest in state state government. And like there's a lot of potential for a really good batch in the legislature this year, um, you know, and there's 
you know, potential for other stuff. But <laughs> no, I think that's like a, it is an interesting thing is that, you know, I think there's a lot more the, the candidates are very young uh, kind of across the board this year. And I think that really um, quality There's like a lot of really interesting people that, you know, I think there was kind of a, a disappointment to see a lot of the retirements this last session. Yeah. Like Representative Ivy Sponholtz and Liz Snyder and Natasha Von Imhoff, you know, these all all these, you know, deeply thoughtful well-versed on the issues that they care about or involved in. And I think there was some like really big shoes to sort of fill with that. And it, it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, that the, this sort of new slate in a lot of ways is um, up for the challenge. Big feet coming up. Yeah. That's good. The three-way special Senate race. How do we, how do we, how do you figure? Oh, and this, Oh yeah. I think uh, Sarah Palin represents Alaska for four months and everyone loses their minds. All right. I think that, I, that's my prediction. What's yours? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I've kind of been, man. I don't know. I feel I I feel like this race is. It feels like everyone kind of has a pretty plausible path to victory. Yeah, that I I'd think love for Mary Peltola to win. I really really I, want her to that win. I think, but it's yeah, tough. I think that once it once it comes out, it's going to be like. It'll, I wouldn't also be also wouldn't be surprised if it was like. Palin 52 somehow you know 52 percent doesn't even go to the ranked choice element of it she just wins it outright uh, I, I don't no, think I, I, no, I don't think me. so but like yeah. it's like that this is just the way that this race would end up you know it's going to look like it's going to be this totally interesting nail biter so so, so let's talk about out. the path the pathways to victory here right like so Peltola could win if Begich and Palin voters uh just bullet vote single single instead of ranking mm-hmm. other candidates if they just vote for Palin or just vote for Begich and they hate all other candidates and they're not going to vote for them, then there's a there's a pathway there for Peltola to win uh, and to get maybe a couple number two votes from for whoever bonks out first. So that's her her opportunity there. Now, because the primaries skew more conservative, she's I, I think she's unlikely to win in this primary, but actually I think she has a much better shot in November. Now, with Palin, she could win because of this sort of like outside-in effect. Like she has a lot of national name recognition, Fox News talks about her, all that stuff. All the people in Alaska who don't read the local news and are just plugged into their television, like are, those people are voting for Palin. We saw that already. Um, she can't, she did better than Begich before and is likely to do better than him again and in in and her path to victory is just that she like kind of wins on sheer brute strength of of name recognition now nick Begich has been putting a ton of money into mailers into messaging into sort of like you know just spreading spreading money around everywhere right and so his path to victory i think is that is he if he's able to like overcome palin absorb some of her voters convince some of her voters that he's a, a good number two um, you know, maybe he maybe he can win. He's he's been. I think that he uh, by kind of putting on a good face in public and then like <laughs> maybe floating a little money to people that are after her behind the scenes. Like he might have a good path to victory just on like his kind of cash influence. Mm-hmm. So we've got sort of it's a real it's a real tight I think three way race that could kind of go and tip any direction. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the outcome. Like I, I personally, I really think that will that it will be Sarah Palin. Um, I and I really hope that it will be Mary Peltola. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think that it's really going to be interesting to see who finishes in second and third in that race, right? Because yeah. that's that's it, you know, that's a really interesting dynamic that 
uh, we haven't seen before, right? And if it was just a, you know, that's the thing is that it's hard to think about like comparing to the old system because the old system, you didn't have a primary in a special election like this. You know, it was, you know, filtered by the parties before it even got to the voters, right? Yeah. And so we wouldn't, it wouldn't, None it's of not these like candidates would, be having would this quite race be here yeah. under the old system. And so um, I think it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see just, I think it's been interesting to see too, that, you know, there's been actually a lot of fighting between Begich and Palin. Well, both of them have been, you know, about as friendly as, as possible to Paltola kind of understanding yeah. that they need to, at least uh, on the surface. Yeah. And it's very, it's an interesting sort of, a, it's interesting to see that this is kind of how campaigns are just, deciding the strategy of this new system right yeah because you know i i think you know i think that's just the you know the battle to sort of stay alive in those early races or as early rounds is so critical to trying to win this race right that's why you know in the governor's race right it's going to be really tight between you know really competitive between um gara and walker right about who finishes ahead of the other that's that's been frustrating for me. Like I really, really wanted to see some competitive harmony there. And I wrote a letter to both of them and I just said, you know, you guys got to talk to each other. You've got to work together or else we're going to get stuck with Dunleavy again. And like, they got to get over themselves and they've got to work together. And it's just like, it, it, it's, it's heartbreaking for me to see, like to see us careening towards another Dunleavy victory after, after so much garbage that he put us through. And, and I think that really it hinges on their ability to like step up as leaders and work together and say like, okay, I, you know, I, Bill Walker want you to vote for Les Guerra number two and I'm Les Guerra and I want you to vote for Bill mm -hmm. Walker number two. And if they can't like find that simple, simple, simple alignment and sort of have like a collegial, uh, you know, work together towards, uh, towards common goals and outcomes, even though we have, you know, we're different, we differ on the details and, and we have, there are certain stances we don't agree on, like in general, they're working towards the betterment of Alaska and kind of the same direction and the same tone and tenor. And they need, they really need to like get on the same page or else they're both going to lose to Dunleavy and, and deserve it, frankly, if that happens, you know, mm -hmm. that's, if they can't, if they can't do it. Yeah. And yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. I think it's really, you know, I think that's the thing is that I think that under old systems, right, it would feel so uncomfortable to be like talking about this openly, but that's like, it's part of the system. There's not, shouldn't be any like shame in being upfront about the strategy of this. Right. And, yeah. uh, yeah. working together as part of that strategy or, you know, or at least trying to appeal to the same kind of base of voters is the same strategy. It's not the same. It shouldn't be the same like binary us versus them. Thing, right. But. You, you got to be able to stand up and, and sort of be the adult in the room and say, like, this person is also in a like this person here also has your best interests at heart and and will work hard for Alaska. I don't agree with everything they have to say. And yeah. this is how I differ. But, you know, we're we're in this together. We're in this we're in the same boat and we're going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, that's a huge problem with Alaska politics all over the place. You see people, like, fighting on Twitter that are, you know, really allied on, like, 99% of the issues. They're just, like, going head-to-head -head about some little minute detail. And it's, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to see. Yeah. I, I really um, – I've been talking to a lot of people about this lately, and I really want to see – more people kind of like stepping back and looking at kind of the big picture, because I think we're losing, we're losing a lot of big battles over little fights and, um, you know, we could be doing a lot better. Yeah. All right. Before we get to 
wistful and and sad about the political system that we live in. <laughs> uh, yes. Play any any fun games lately? Oh, uh, I I I DM'd my first game of Dungeons and Dragons last night for my nieces, and it was wonderful. Oh, that um, sounds cute. Yeah, I got the D and D Essentials kit. I I uh, and did a whole bunch of cramming and homework and YouTube video watching and ran a small campaign and and my niece. Uh, my my more uh wild-eyed niece uh uh immediately tried to like uh break down the mayor's door in this town and then punched in the window and then got tied up by her sister and dragged off away <laughs> and it was just like all this unexpected stuff was happening i'm like all right we're uh i guess we'll roll to see if you get tied up or not okay it was <laughs> it was it was a delightful experience i had a great time and uh um, you know, I kind of, I played a bunch of like role-playing games and things and I love the character creation, but I've never really like DM'd a, a, a game like that. And it was just, it was a fun experience to step into. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad. That sounds like a lot of fun. What's, what's, okay. What's your fun thing? I, I got it my Steam Deck. Yeah. It's like a, oh my gosh, it's like so a Nintendo shiny. Switch. Yeah. I'm holding it up to Pat right now. Uh, yeah. it's a it's like a Nintendo switch, but it's a computer and it plays steam games and yeah. it, it has been awesome. It really has you been awesome. It? Yeah. Well, the big thing is that, um, you know, I kind of like, I love computer games, uh, but I hate kind of being stuck by the computer because mm-hmm. my computer is like a big, you know, setup PC in my office that I spend eight hours a day, not writing at. And, uh, um, so being able to like pull up some games that I can just play on that, on the couch has been really good. Uh, I've been playing a lot of games that I like haven't either meant to play a long time ago or would have never played before. And I'm like finishing them now instead of just like getting an hour and a half into them and then dropping them forever. So yeah, I feel like my like, uh, enthusiasm for like video games has sort of been like reinvigorated and all it took was this like $500, uh, (laughs) handheld computer that I had to also return because it died like a week into it. So yeah, I uh I love video games. But I get so sucked into them, and so I try to I try to hold off a bit on the summertime, and and uh, it's more of like a fall winter activity. But the weather's been so crummy lately. Maybe I'll give myself yeah, it's some, nesting time. Some more video game time. Yeah. Um. Goodbye. All right. Goodbye. Are we done? Yeah. I think we're done. Take care. All right. Go have fun. See you later. Bye. 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 Bye.